Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today, my friend Mills Bender of Mills Knows Bills is back. And we're going to be talking about how do you discuss finances with your loved one? How are you today, Mills? I am fantastic. How are you doing? I am awesome, actually. I feel really good. I woke up feeling kind of fuzzy, but somehow... You know, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. The rain is gone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, I can was, attest to that. It was snowing here like for a while. Not that any of it stuck, but it's just so weird to look out the windows and see it coming down in November. It's a um, crispy winter day here in Miami, Florida. Nice 77 degrees. So I cannot relate to the snow at all, but I do envy you because I've heard white Christmases are beautiful. You know, I was in Florida about two weeks ago. And of course, when I was there, it went from 70 to 56. And then after I left, it went back up to 70. Oh, that sounds amazing. But amazing. Enough, enough about the weather. I was the only one right. in the ocean. They said, oh, he's from New York. Enough about the weather. <laughs> Mills, how did your heart lead you to do the work that you do? Honestly, out of desperation comes innovation. I found myself in a sticky financial situation in the fall of 2014. I only had a dollar and 50 cents in my bank account. And that was really my come to Jesus moment of you need to put your big girl pants on. You need to figure out how to manage your finances. So that kind of turned into a passion of mine because I realized there were other people out there struggling financially. Mm. And I found that I was really good at explaining these difficult financial concepts in ways that other people could understand and feel empowered through that education. So it you know, came as a necessity, but fell in love with the, the flow of it all. And now I get to be part of other people's financial journeys. It's truly an honor. I love that. I always love a story where somebody's had a setback and they're turning it into a, turning a liability into an asset to use financial terms. Absolutely, absolutely. I like that little spin you put on there. <laughs> Well, hey, so not that I know anything about being behind the eight ball financially. Actually, I think everybody's had the experience, unless you're born with extraordinary wealth. And even then, you know, I think we've all had the experience of being flat broke. Um, and it's, it's, it can bring up a lot of feelings. We'll just put it like that. And what's really interesting is that even when you overcome it, if you've been in that space for a while, those feelings can hang out. Um, oh yeah. And you know what I've noticed when I work with couples is that very often, very often, that's a nice way of saying always, always. <laughs> there is a disparity between, and I'm gonna call it financial mindsets, right? Correct. So one person uh, is going to be very, oh my God, I never wanna be poor again, or maybe I'm working really hard to become wealthier, so I'm gonna be really careful. And the other one's got kind of a, freewheeling attitude about money. Um, and it shows up in so many ways and causes so many problems. Like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, audience, 76% uh, of all marriages fight about money and 40% of all divorces are about money. So mm -hmm. this, is, this is very serious stuff. Oh yeah. So um, Mills, I could talk about this forever, but you're really the expert. How is it, how, do, how can couples begin to tackle a discussion about money so that even though their mindsets or attitudes might not be exactly the same, their behaviors can at least be in sync? Absolutely. Well, you hit the nail on the head, 
a lot of the arguments that start around money boil down to the fact that either party thinks that the other person thinks the same way about money. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just not the case. So I've actually, or they should, yeah. right. Like my way or the highway, but even in my own relationship with my husband, we have completely different views when it comes to money, but we've implemented ways that we can talk about it. We've implemented systems that work for us in our relationship. And we've been married for almost four years now. And we have never argued about money at all because we've been open in that communication. And what I have found is that sometimes people just need those questions to guide them. So that's why I've actually created a money mindset guide It's a questionnaire that you can fill out on your own, and then you bring it to talk about it with your significant other or other loved ones in your life. So I'll actually give you access to that so you can post it in your show notes and things like that. Um, That way your listeners can have access to it and get this conversation started. But the flow of it is quite simple, really. To start off, you really want to take money out of the conversation first. You almost need to ease into it by talking about who you are as a person, what makes you tick, Mm -hmm. what fills your cup back up, what do you enjoy doing? And really, when you identify the root behind these responses, it it comes up what your non-negotiables are in your budget, right? If dining out is important to you because you like that quality time, you like those memories, right? That should be something that you can embed into your budget because it's not the food that you're necessarily getting the joy out of. I mean, definitely is part of it, but what you're truly valuing is that quality time. And once you've identified who the other person is at a deeper level, you can then start talking about how money was discussed in your household growing up. If you've ever learned about finances, what do you know about managing your finances? You'd be surprised the, the vast difference in responses that I get from my clients when they answer that question. I get as simple as don't spend more than you make to as complex as invest in index funds and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the idea is you, you start off not talking about money. You talk about your past, your present, and then your future. And these questions really allow you to unpack the why behind the behind the decisions that you make when it comes to your money management. And if you really sit down and have an open communication, try not to let your emotions into it. I know money is really emotional and it's hard not to do that. But if you can have those conversations and try to view it from the other person's perspective, it might give you an idea of where you guys can meet in the middle. That's wonderful. And I've had I'm th- while you're talking, I'm thinking about all these clients. I've had clients where one person was raised with kind of a silver spoon and the mm-hmm. other one, not so much. And so they've got very different attitudes about money and how it should be spent. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had couples who were raised in exactly the same environment. And yet, you know, somehow uh, what the lessons they learned from their parents were completely different. And it's so it's yeah. so important to know how, where you come from shapes Mm -hmm. the way you think about things, not just the way you think about it, but uh, how things sit with you unconsciously. Like 80% of us is is unconscious programming from our childhood. Mm -hmm. So, so much of this is in there. You know, sometimes we don't even know how crazy some of the stuff is that we're walking around with. 
Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And sometimes it just takes asking the right questions and talking through it over a cup of coffee, glass of wine, whatever it is to allow you to see why you're actually making the decisions that you make and why you have those certain feelings towards money. Because if you can let your significant other in on that just a little bit, they can become a support system for you so that way you both can grow together. Yeah, and I think ideally it's a lesson of discovery, internal discovery, as well as discovery of one another. Exactly, exactly. I'm also thinking about money itself. You know, I mean, money, wish I had some <laughs> to show you. <laughs> wave around, I should, you know, on the screen, but I don't happen to have my wallet nearby. But, you know, when you think about money, you know, the short history of money is that it's representative and it's not actually tied to anything. I mean, it actually only has the value we give it. You know, like mm -hmm. a dollar bill uh, strictly has the value. It's the value of the dollar bill is based on our confidence in the government that backs it up. It's not attached to uh, anything physical in any way, shape, or form. And so uh, it's interesting how we're so emotional about mm -hmm. it. And I've noticed that when people get divorced, for example, all of a sudden they get a whole lot more emotional about money. And I, mm -hmm. I you know, it's, it's it has nothing to do with the money is where I'm going with this. You know, the money it doesn't. The money is is a symbol. It, it represents theoretically, it represents the fruit of our labor. But mm -hmm. in a marriage, it can represent so much more. It can represent mm -hmm. the Mills. Why aren't you giving me the attention I want? So just give me some money instead. Or you know, right. I mean, it can represent so much. So right. when, you're, when you're having those, yeah, when you're having those discussions, how do you? help people to wend their way through that conversation specifically with divorce or when they're in, a married in marriage or divorce because i think the emotional attachment to money is very it's it's just different context for the same feeling i mean I'll, I'll, let me just right wait let me footnote that when people are getting sure. divorced they're triggered they're angry they're fearful and so the intensity is ramped up but the feeling the attachment is always there Mm -hmm. Well, what I will say is I've, I've not worked with a lot of divorced couples. I do work with a lot of couples that are about to get married or have recently gotten married. But what I will say is we talk about this, this mindset guide and we work through the whys, right? I've had as severe as somebody hating money because it was a tool that was lorded over them and controlled over them and they needed their significant other to understand that to as simple as, you know, they never had any issues with money growing up. So therefore it was never discussed. But when it comes to making shifts in managing your money differently, I always reiterate the fact that yes, it's money. And yes, this, kid, this is a tool to help you get the lifestyle that you want. But at the end of the day, it's also just money. Yeah. It's just a decision. Right. And we should not be getting ourselves worked up over it. We should not be getting stressed or anxious. It does happen as a natural result due to our upbringing, but that's something that we get to work through. And that's something we get to give ourselves ourselves grace with as we learn these new habits, because at, like I said, at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper slash cotton, right? It's, or if you're into Bitcoins, it's not even that. Right, right. And what you value more 
like your relationship, the experiences, that's what should be held at a higher esteem rather than the money itself. Money is just a tool, but there's so many different ways that we can get creative. Yeah, that's awesome. So part of the process also has to be getting aligned on what you're going to do with that money, where you're going to go, what is it that mm -hmm. you want? You know, do you want a bigger house? Do, why? How big does it need to be? You know, how long do you need it to be big for? Uh, what kind of schools do you want your kids to go to? Yada, yada, yada. All that is part mm -hmm. of the recipe. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me change the money conversation. Sure. Let me change tracks on this a little. So studies show that couples generally believe that they both understand their financial situation, right? Like when polled, they both both members of a couple generally think they understand their financial situation. But in reality, when the polls go deeper, what they find out is that typically one person handles mm -hmm. the household expenses and another person handles the long-term plans. And that's not necessarily attached to gender. It, you know, that mm -hmm. has more to do with uh, long-term thinking, detail sure. orientation, it has to do with those kinds of things. And very often the breakdowns happen when there is no communication about those things. So how mm -hmm. can you how can you facilitate a regular conversation about managing the household expenses and the long term expenses and and reduce those fights about why sure. are you buying that? You know, that's not in our household budget or, you know, what? <laughs> Your 401k went down like this with the stock market? You idiot, you. You know, how do you manage, how do you manage those conversations? Well, I think the first thing is to understand that different spouses have different skill sets and to leverage the strengths of each other, right? My husband and I sit down bi-weekly, if nothing less, once a month to review our household and long-term plans. And both of us come to the table with something different. But what I encourage my clients to do is to set a budget together. It doesn't, even if you are the long-term person, figuring out what it looks like today is the tool to help you get to where you want to be. They have such a large impact on each other that you need to have that conversation together. So if you can figure out a plan that works for your current finances, you can then talk about what your combined goals are together. And then you can come up with a game plan on how you're going to get there. The best thing you can do as a couple is to embed that game plan into your monthly or current budget so you can get to that long-term goal easier and together. Because if you're both on the same page, there's fewer arguments about it. Another thing that my husband and I do He's the spender in our relationship. I'm the saver, but I'm the saver due to my upbringing. I had a very frugal household. Uh, we're one of six kids. So money wasn't spent frivolously, not to mention that dollar and 50 cents fiasco a few years ago. You know, I just have a very frugal mindset. My husband, on the other hand, half the amount of kids grew up in a well-off family. They never really worried about money. Not that mine did, but they didn't view money the same way my parents did. So naturally he's the spender. What we have done in our budget and our personal finances, we do have everything joint. Me being a financial coach, I tend to manage both the short-term and long-term perspectives, but he's fully involved in those conversations. He asks where we are, 
on our retirement goals. He asks where we are in our investment goals. But being the spender, he needs a little bit of that flexibility on a month-to-month -month basis. So what we have done is created a specific account meant for his spending. We call it Joe's Toy Fund. And every <laughs> month, you, you chuckle, but it's worked for us for four years. We put money aside every month into that account. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> it is his toy fund. Um, but every month we have a dedicated amount where we put that money aside in that specific bank account and he gets to spend it however he sees fit. Yeah. If he wants to use the full allotment, great. If he wants to save it up and buy something larger, great. The point is, if he wants to spend $40 on a game, I don't get mad about it, regardless of how, I don't want to say stupid, but you know, I don't value a $40 game, right? But he does. He values it for his downtime because he works a lot, right? So however he wants to spend that money, I don't get upset by it because it's already accounted for in our budget, right? right? He doesn't feel restricted either. That's a great strategy. Thank you. you. Know, actually, a strategy that I recommend to a lot of my clients is mm -hmm. to have like two to have their separate individual mad money funds and then you know their joint funds. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, uh, um, something that's you know uh, here I'll, I'll frame it as a question. Back in the day, sure. the, the way the, the way they used to do it, you know, before there were all these fancy banks and checking accounts and all that stuff, is uh, someone would, the person the breadwinner would bring home the money. And mm -hmm. the homemaker would put the money in like different socks. There would be okay. like, there'd be like the food budget sock. There'd be the sock for the rent. There'd be the mm -hmm. sock for toys. There'd be the sock for savings for the future. Mm -hmm. um, how could people today use a strategy like that? The same idea of, all right, you've got an account for your mad money. You've got an account for joint expenses. How, mm -hmm. how can people today cut that up? And are there any percentages that you recommend for it? I'm not a huge fan of percentages. And the reason why is because as you make more money, you should be spent, you should be saving more and more money, but spending the same amount as much as you possibly can. Right. And there is that break even of, you know, at what threshold of earning that, that does not make sense anymore. Right. But I'm not a huge fan of those percentages because if you're making a million dollars, 50% should not be going towards your mandatory living expenses. They shouldn't. They sh it should still be around. Why not? A much lesser amount. Typically, what people, if, if they do that, they find themselves spending more than they can actually afford. They, they are not realizing that they're buying into a lifestyle that is always just out of reach. So as they make more and more money, it becomes more and more difficult to actually maintain that standard of living. You need to make sure you have that emergency fund established. And oftentimes they don't. So, so maybe another way to frame it is you might use percentages, but as your income goes up, right. percentages need to shift. Exactly. Exactly. But, but I mean, I, uh, I would guess that depends on your dreams too. And you know, how, much, how fast you want to put away money for your country house or you mm -hmm. know, your daughter's wedding or whatever. Exactly, exactly. But to, to answer your question about putting money aside, there's a few different options. And I was going like this because I was just talking with a client about it earlier today. And it's one of my favorite topics. So you can go old, old school and use cash envelopes, 
where you have different envelopes meant for different no, no, categories socks, of your spending. Socks. You gotta have socks. Or socks. Yeah, but you can't really write on socks easily, no, you, you know? All right, I'll go with envelopes, cash envelopes. <laughs> cash envelopes. Uh, so you can have those set aside. So for example, if you, know, if you don't wanna spend more than $200 a month on dining out, you fund that envelope with that $200 in cash. And as you spend that money throughout the month, you can use the cash from that envelope to cover those dining out expenses. So you have a visual of how much you have left. This is really great for those financial kryptonites out there, those weaknesses that a lot of us just can't seem to stay away from. But if you're looking for something a little bit more modern, there are a couple other options for you. You can use Ally Financial, that's A-L-L-Y, and you can open up their online buckets account. I don't remember the exact name of it right now, but you fund the general accounts and then you have different virtual buckets similar to a cash envelope where you can title different goals that you have and set that money aside. It's really like a, cool. It's like a profit first strategy for your house. Exactly. And if you're a business owner you all and you use QuickBooks for your bookkeeping, QuickBooks also offers a QuickBooks cash account, which earns 1%, which is much more than I earn in my typical checking and savings accounts. But it operates, this, it's, it operates a similar way to Ally Financial. It's a cash account with virtual envelopes that you can term different things. I actually use that for my business and I have one for taxes, my employees pay, my pay, lots well, of great other tip. I didn't know you could do that with QuickBooks. Yeah, yeah. Application is really easy. Linking up your outside bank account is really easy as well. And it's been running really, really well in my business. And my clients that use it love it too. Got it. All right. So let's just sum all this up. It sounds like the first step you want to take is you want to have conversations with your partner, conversations about your past, both of your past, you know, your Mm -hmm. attitudes that you have about money. Maybe you're going to Mm -hmm. discover some attitudes. Maybe, you know, since our partners often know us better than we know ourselves, they're going to tell us a little bit about ourselves. Sure. Like wouldn't surprise me if that happened in my marriage anyway, I don't know about yours. And then we want to talk about our present. Um, you know, what's our current situation? And that might even, it sounds like, involve kind of uh, going through and seeing where your money is going if you're not already aware. Right. I, I know a, a really tedious exercise that I do is going through our expenditures for the year and just mm-hmm. seeing, you know, and it requires going through the bank account and categorizing every little expense. It's a real pain in the neck, it takes a few hours. But mm-hmm. not because that's not my strength, um, but it reveals so much, especially when you compare years. Uh, so what, you know, what's your finance? You, know, you don't have to do that, but what is your financial present? And then mm-hmm. you want to have a conversation about, all right, what do we really want to be doing with our money? And that's going to determine, that sort of leans into the second conversation we're having, how, yeah. how you're going to cut up the pie when it comes up. Right. And what I heard you say that was really helpful was um, joint account for joint expenses, individual accounts for mad money so that, you know, we're not constantly watching to see how much did Mills take today, you know, it, it gets us off each other's backs and it, right. it, uh, it gives us a certain freedom. And then the last piece was um, putting your money in buckets, yes. whatever that looks like, whether it's savings accounts or the stock market mm-hmm. or an investment in Bitcoin or whatever, however you want to do it, right. that feels safe to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, putting it in buckets and keeping it there until you're ready to pull it out. Exactly right. Exactly right. So yes, step one, money mindset. Step two, budget. And step three, sit down on a consistent basis 
and review where your finances stand in comparison to this budget mm. and make sure you're having that open and honest communication. I really encourage my clients to do it bi-weekly, but again, if nothing else, at least once a once month. A this month, allows yeah. you to stay ahead of the game and allow you to make sure that the systems you're implementing are actually working for you. Excellent, excellent. And how can people find you, Mills? Well, you can follow me on your favorite social platform. You name it, I'm probably on it. And you can find me at Mills Knows Bills on any of those social platforms. You can also check out my, my website, millsknowsbills.com. But I'm also going to be providing you with a link to put in your show notes where people can sign up and get access to the Money Mindset Guide and my budget setting tool for free. All nice. they have to do is put in their email and it gets sent to them directly. Awesome. Awesome. And the question I've asked you before and asked everyone sure. at the end of the show is what, but sometimes it changes. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind, Mills? I want to change the face of financial literacy. I would love to get my financial literacy curriculum into all schools nationwide within 10 years. So nice. that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I think actually it's pretty amazing where the level of financial literacy is for so many people, you know, people with um, doctorates who have, you know, like a first grade knowledge of how to manage money, you know, mm -hmm. um, because there's nobody, they never, it was never taught to them. So I love right. that. Right. Love and it's that. a skill set that, that people just, they need to be taught. That's it. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's always great to see you. Likewise. Just wonderful, really helpful information today. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on here and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And you too.